Welcome to Data Protection Gumbo, the podcast where we cook up a delicious blend of cybersecurity, privacy, and data protection topics to serve you a hearty bowl of insights. Whether you like your gumbo spicy with a dash of encryption or prefer a milder flavor with a side of compliance, we've got you covered. So grab a spoon, sit back, and let's dive into the pot of data protection gumbo. Welcome to another edition of Data Protection Gumbo Podcast. I'm your host, Demetrius Malbro. And on this episode, we have a special guest, Colm Keegan, and he is a senior consultant of product marketing at Dell Technology. So, Colm, welcome to the Gumbo. How are you? Hey, Demetrius. Great to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Absolutely. Uh, super excited to have you on and also get your perspective uh, just around the overall challenges of what's been going on in, in data protection, backup recovery, and all of the adjacent technologies and um, industries that we're all working across today. So first of all, why don't you give us maybe an update or some maybe some details just around the experience that you have within the data protection industry? Sure. Yeah. And I've been doing this quite a long time. And just kind of by way of background, I've been in IT for several decades. I don't want to say how many, (laughs) but a long time. (laughs) And a good chunk of that has been actually focused in data protection itself. So both as a systems administrator, so I spent some time in the trenches there, uh, and also, you know, and you know, doing things like recoveries, you know, protection and recoveries, and then uh, was in the sales side for about a dozen years. And one of my core focuses was in enterprise uh, backup solution sales. Uh, so if you remember when we were selling things like VTLs, and uh, I was also there in the early days of Data Domain as a partner, and then later actually went went to go work for Data Domain before. EMC acquired data domain. Mm, okay. And so I spent some time there. And then after that, I went into the analyst world and spent a few years as an IT analyst working for a couple of different firms and, you know, always around storage, data protection, and then later cloud. And then before I came over to Dell, I was at Veeam for three years and was doing more product marketing for uh, their alliances division. So working with, you know, companies like NetApp and Pure Storage and, uh, and uh, Nutanix and others, right, kind of telling uh, better, to get better together stories. So, so I guess to answer your question, I've been doing it quite a while. Um, you know, it's something that uh, I've had different roles in, right, both, you know, kind of as a, as a user, salesperson, and then an analyst before getting into the marketing side. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I really love your background and to also mix in there a, a little bit of analyst experience with, I guess, the technical hands-on and also the sales makes you a well-rounded individual and you you know the ins and outs of um, an environment and also how to protect workloads, et cetera. So uh, really excited to kind of continue on here and also uh, what, what was it like? And I'm, I'm just curious because... You know, I, I have some experience with EMC, Networker, uh, Data Domain. It was the hot thing back then, and everyone was talking dedupe this and dedupe that and ratios and speeds and feeds. And, I mean, it got so convoluted with, um, you know, who who does the biggest and best uh, ratio, et cetera. But what, what have you seen just overall from the last, I guess, 15 years or so and the whole... Uh, matriculation of where technology came from on-prem to where we are right now, full-on cloud, cloud-native environments, 
and uh, running workloads in a containerized fashion? Yeah, well, I mean, so there's a lot of things that have, have changed. There, there are some things that are still the same. I mean, I didn't, I didn't think that, you know, 20 years ago, if you asked me if data protection was going to be still something that people struggled with, that the answer to that question would be yes. I, I, I guess I would have expected by this time that it would largely have been solved. Um, but, you know, we still see a lot of people struggling with it. And, and, so, and we even see it in the research, right? Because when you talk about... Um, when you talk about IT challenges, you know, certainly things like cybersecurity hit the top of the list and there's no surprise there, but data protection always makes it in like the top five, top six in terms of things that people struggle with. So, you know, there's, there's a lot that we've improved. You know, you mentioned things like deduplication, which still really matters, right? Because as data grows, you need a way to optimize how you store it, right? So that you're not, you know, you the, the back end isn't growing much larger and, you know, and certainly you want to try to keep... Your, your footprint as, as compact as you can, you know, from both a, a data center standpoint, but even from a storage consumption standpoint, power and cooling, that's from an on-prem standpoint. But then likewise in the cloud, you know, you want to try to keep your costs down because, you know, you're obviously going to incur higher costs over time. So, the, you know, those are things that I think still, still matter a lot today. Uh, but then you couple it in with things like uh, newer workload types. You mentioned containers, right? So we've had, you know, virtual machines around for a long time and, We've seen a lot of advances in terms of how you protect virtual environments. Certainly, IT administrators have gotten very used to using the tooling for managing virtual infrastructure, and, and, and that extends to data protection. But then you have containers come really come on board strongly here in the last few years, mm-hmm. and it changes the game a little bit, right? Because you can't protect containers the same way you protect virtual machines. Right. Um, so, so, so having the right tools matters, but also I think it's important that you want to stay, you know, if you're an IT administrator, the last thing you want to do is have yet another point solution that you have to manage because there's this like profusion of tools that, you know, between cyber and data protection and then in cloud, you know, and, and then there's this IT skill shortage on top of that, right? So it's, and then your business is asking you, hey, can you help us innovate? That's a lot to ask. So, you know, like I said, I, I think it's a mixed bag. You know, there's certain, certain things that have improved over the years, right? We don't rely on tape quite as much as we used to, say, 20 years ago. And, and tape, tape, tape certainly had its share of challenges, especially when tapes were going on trucks and yeah. those tapes were getting lost. Right. Then you had these embarrassing public disclosures if you lost, you know, personally identifiable information that was on a tape, right? Um, so those things kind of largely have gone away. But, you know, the, the, the same problems are there in terms of, Data growth continues. Now it's in more places, right? It's not just the data center or your edge locations, and it's not even just a you know a public cloud. It's multiple public clouds, so and multiple workload types, right? So there's it, it. It's no surprise then that data protection still makes it in the top five, right? In terms of you know being a a perennial challenge in terms of you know how organizations manage it so maybe maybe getting a little i know we're talking about some of the challenges here just around you know overall you know on-prem cloud multi-cloud hybrid um different workloads and also the amount of data growth that that has happened because data obviously is not it's not getting any smaller. Um, I mean, we, we're, we're only growing and we're only storing more and more because we have all of these devices and everything is just completely, you know, digitized. So it's going to be a, a continued problem. But I, I want to get your perspective just around some of the buzz that I've heard late, lately around repatriating data from the cloud. And, you know, what's your take on this column? Yeah, you know, there's, there's been some stories both in the press and in social media. And, um, 
it's not to say it doesn't happen. It certainly does. And, you know, I, I think of some examples of um, when I was in sales and kind of anecdotally hearing about it's pretty good sized companies that sort of went all in on the cloud. And, and, and they did so, I think, because there was this expectation that if it was in the cloud, it was better. Right. And if it was in the cloud, you're going to save money. And if it was in the cloud, it meant, meant you were modern. Right. You know, and, and so there were there were some some decisions made that, frankly, you know, maybe people really didn't think about it too thoroughly. And then on the back end, realized, wow, this is this is a lot more expensive than we thought it was going to be. And, and, and that's no that's not pointing a finger at the cloud provider. Right. I mean, it's that's just what it is. Right. They don't hide anything. That That's what the costs are. And so then as a result, you had some people, you know, they ran into the cloud and they ran out pretty fast, too. You know, and that's that that had to be, you know, pretty challenging to be in the middle of that, particularly if you were on the administrator side, because it's not, as you know, once you put things in the cloud, it's just not that easy to to, to repatriate it, uh, and not to mention the costs involved. So, so there was some of that, and then you know, I think in recent years, you know, you, you you've seen these stories of sort of born in the cloud companies that it made a lot of sense. Why would you invest in your own infrastructure if you could launch it in the cloud? It's a lot faster. It scales dynamically, but uh, and but then as those organizations grew, they realized that a significant portion of uh, you know. Their, they realized a significant portion of their valuation was actually going into the cost of the cloud. And I don't know if you, you probably remember there was this report that Andreessen Horowitz put out. They did this whole analysis. And um, what, what they were seeing was that, you know, some of these you know, newer companies that had you know, gone, gone into the cloud were now starting to look at bringing it back on premises because, you know, they were leaving a lot of money on the table was the bottom line, you know. And so there were some examples like Dropbox and, and some others. You know, so so like I said, I think there are some examples where yeah, you have to kind of look at it and say, okay, does it make sense to to maybe rebalance? You don't have everything in the cloud, but you have some things in the cloud and some things on premises. And 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 effectively, that's kind of where we see it today when we we do our own research, right? Is we see that you know roughly it's about a fifty fifty mix between hybrid and public cloud, and and there's really no signs of that changing, you know, much uh, in the near future. Right. So, you know, I, I think I think really what it comes down to is you, you just got to you got to figure out the right balance. And, and sometimes that takes time. Right. And, and you, know, well, you know, so, I mean, that's that's kind of my take on it. Yeah, I had uh, David Hunnemeyer Hansen. I had him on a while ago and we were discussing because he, he took all of their workloads from the cloud and uh, brought them back on on prem. And went over all the cost savings of you know that it's better for for him and his team to just bring everything in house, manage all the infrastructure, all the hardware because it's more cost effective for him and his team in order to continue to you know operate in that fashion. And plus, they they gain the skill set and they also have an opportunity to just continue to build upon what they learn uh, from some of the experiences of managing on prem infrastructure. So. You know, it's it's a mixed bag with with multi cloud and, and hybrid cloud, but I think everyone will need you know all of the above, right? So you, you can't just say uh, we're going to be you know all in the cloud and we don't have anything on prem unless you're maybe a super tiny and super small organization uh, <laughs> that affords you to do that. But if you're getting at enterprise scale, it's going to get expensive. So uh, something else that I'm hearing and that I'm seeing a lot. Of and, and maybe not as much now because Chat GPT is kind of the big big thing that's happening right now. AGI and 
uh, generative AI uh, is zero trust. Are you still hearing about that? And and if so, what's what what are you hearing about zero trust? And it, it seems to be a buzzword that that's really really going around, and maybe it's dying off now. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, you know, I was at reInvent back in November, and you know, it was certainly it was plastered all over a lot of different vendors displays, right? You know, because they want to they want to be identified with that, you know, and it's it in many ways it's really no different than what we saw a decade or so ago when everybody was cloud washing stuff, right? You know, and you 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 also saw some of that too with things like you know cybersecurity, you know, everything cyber threats and. And, you know, so it's, and then with zero trust, it's, it, some vendors are kind of almost given the impression that if you buy their solution that, you know, you check the box with zero trust, right? And yeah, as we know, it's, it's a lot more complicated than that. You know, zero trust is really, it's a, it's a, it's a framework and it's not something that you just buy, you know, it requires, you know, multiple technologies and, and basically putting them together and integrating them into your environment. Uh, so, you know, we, we, well, we did some research last year and we asked the question, you know, have you have you implemented all the core principles of zero trust into your environment? And not surprisingly, I think it was like around twelve percent of respondents, uh, and this is a thousand IT respondents said that they had, and the rest were kind of on this journey. And so that's where most people are, you know. And and it's it's not like organizations are starting from square one with zero trust. I mean, you know, some elements of zero trust are things like multi-factor authentication and roles-based access control, right? So there's some of those technologies are already out there. Uh, and, you know, and then there's some things you can do to, to better secure your environment or while you're waiting to, you know, have a more robust zero trust framework to protect yourself, like, you know, having uh, a resiliency plan in place, you know, and, and, and taking a posture of, you know, I'm going to be breached at some point, you know, no one's immune to it, no matter how big your IT staff or budget is, you're going to get, you're going to get hacked. Um, so, you know, what do I, you know, how do I respond to that? And how confident am I that I can get not only my data back, but get it back in, you know, in a time that aligns with uh, the recovery time objectives that we have, right? So, so I would say that's kind of like the zero trust thing is that, you know, it's the usual behavior. You know, everybody's kind of shouting out loud saying, you know, look at me, I got it. And it's like, well, I mean, you might have a, you might have a piece or two, but nobody has everything, you know. Yeah, and you mentioned cyber resiliency, and I've I've heard and and also read some things that you know disaster recovery is, you know, it's an old terminology. It's old terminology that we've been using for quite some time, and then, you know, ransomware really proliferates and hit hits the scene, starts wreaking havoc uh, around the world primarily, and news news stories are popping up here and there about ransomware and even. Uh, the White House with the cybersecurity strategy, and, and and the whole division that they they just spun up around cyber cyber resiliency as well. Now, can you maybe give us a little columns perspective around maybe embracing the breach? Because you said, yeah, you're going to get hacked, you're going to get breached eventually anyway. So why why do you say this? Um. Well, the numbers don't lie. I mean, I think the uh, again going back to some research research we did, it was like nearly one in two respondents said that they you know uh, experienced a disruptive cyber attack that prevented access to their data. Right. So it's at this point, it's like you flip a coin about you know when you when you ask anybody the question that they're going to say yes. So and that's why you know basically just embrace it is it's going to happen. So rather than trying to prevent it, and you know, there was a there was an interesting uh, report that Gartner put together 
a couple of years ago, and that was, that was the title of it. It was Embrace the Breach. And the point they were trying to make was you really should re- be reaching more for resiliency instead of prevention. Uh, and they even went as far to say, you know, you should really kind of re- rebalance your investments and, and really aim for minimally viable uh, cyber, uh, cybersecurity, right? So do just enough and then put all the other investments into resiliency. Because if you're, if you're over-invested on things like perimeter defense, for example, they didn't say it, but if you read between the lines, what they were saying was you, you're, you're basically wasting your money. You know? So invest in things like resiliency where you, know, you, you put things into, like for example, an isolated digital vault, an isolated recovery environment you know, that's, that's separated from your production network, it's air-gapped, things like that, right? that give you a reasonably good chance to recover your data. You know, there's other things you can do around that as well, right? I mean, um, you know, having some AI ML there to kind of look for anomalies, right? Things like that. Um, so, you know, that's, so that's really what Embrace the Breach is, is to kind of change your posture of one of prevention towards one of resiliency. And it's not to say that you, you, you let all the guards down and you remove the moat or things like that. It's just that don't, don't be over-invested in those technologies because, you're going to be breached anyway. It's it's um it's actually getting it's getting worse now because I, earlier I mentioned mentioned ChatGPT and AGI and generative AI. I mean, it's beginning to get a little crazy uh, out there because I am hearing stories. Yeah, it's it's an amazing technology. However, it's going to also arm the bad guys as well, just as it's arming us to you know, maybe do our jobs better. And, and you used to be an analyst. So imagine, you know, helping, getting help with content and research for content and just going into AI and chat GPT or whatever and saying, hey, give me the, you know, all the research around, you know, this particular topic or whatever the case may be. But we're also seeing this skills gap as well with all these layoffs too that are happening, right? So everyone's, you know, laying off 6%, 10%, 5%. And um, so someone just reached out to me um, not too long ago as well that they just got laid off. So it's it's still happening. But I want to get your perspective, Column, on what, what do you think the, the outcome is going to be? Not to say that AI is going to take all the jobs, but just kind of what, what you're seeing from, from an IT skills gap. Well, I mean, I guess the hope is, is that it'll be a useful tool for reducing things like mundane tasks, right? You know, and I think the whole idea behind automation, at least from a data protection perspective, is you don't want your most senior people spending all their time on IT housekeeping, right? I mean, there's better things they can be doing, you know, and, and so, if, so if it can help really deliver more automation into some of these things that are, that are necessary, right, but probably aren't the best use of uh, senior level people, then I think it, it could be, you know, a real big, a real benefit, right, for sure. Um, and, and you know, I, I have the same anxieties as everyone else does in terms of thinking, well, you know, I'm in marketing, you know, you, and like you said, you can get onto chat GPT and ask it to write a blog and it pumps out something pretty good, you know, uh, and it's only going to get better, right? So, I mean, what's the difference between a human writing and, and a an AI that has access to all information on the internet and can write a pretty well-informed piece? It's like, okay, well, I guess maybe I have to adjust my thinking a little bit too, right, in terms of how I differentiate myself. So I think part of it is, you know, it, it, in a sense, it keeps you on your toes, right, because you can't get too comfortable. And I, I don't think anybody who's been in IT for a long time on, uh, 
doesn't understand that, right? Like you can't just rely on a certain skill set and expect it to carry you through for decades, right? Because invariably those things become obsolete. You know, so part of it is just sort of the natural evolution of things. I've heard, you know, Elon Musk talk about it. And, you know, there's, I think he wants to slow it down a little bit, right? Because he just doesn't want it to like kind of be like a runaway train and then you lose control of it, right? So, and I, and I, I would tend to agree with that. So it, it definitely has the ability to be, you know, a, a force for good. And, um, but like you said, the bad guys have access to it too, right? So if it, if it, for example, can say, Hey, this, this is how the majority of enterprise organizations are securing their data in a vault today. And here's all the, here's what these architectures look like, you know, show me a way to penetrate it. It's like, okay, well, I guess someone's going to be having to ask the exact opposite question of that same AI, right? right? Yeah. Counter those, give me some countermeasures for this, right? Mm -hmm. You and the, or, or, you know what we could do, Demetrius? Let's just go back to tape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, there's still a lot of people, you know, utilizing tape. And, you know, if you're storing data within cold storage on the public cloud, you're using what? Tape. Yeah. Those guys have tape. Right. So <laughs> how do you think they get the cost, you know, really, really low? And they say, yeah, your, your recovery time objective is going to be, you know, a few days, right? Or... It's going to take you a while to get this because you you told us that you don't need it right away um, because you're not paying us that much. Well, it's better than not getting it back at all. That is correct. Right. That is correct, and it's it's better than your whole business going down for two weeks and you're you're scrambling to try to figure out whether or not you want to pay the ransom or you have to recreate everything from scratch. You don't have any good backups, right? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, we, we kind of laugh about it, but like, you know, that would have me if I was sitting in my IT seat again saying, we probably should have that, you know, tertiary copy, you know, living in a vault somewhere in Iron Mountain or somewhere else, just in case, right? Like, you know, we, we feel pretty strongly that this, you know, digital vault we have is, is going to do what we need it to do, especially if we've got some intelligence there that can, you know, scope out some anomalous behavior. But the fact is, we don't know what the future holds in store, right? So nothing wrong with nothing wrong with like you know having your golden images sitting on a tape somewhere, in a, like in a in a real vault, right? In a real in a real hardened facility that says, you know what? Just in case all else fails, I know I got at least one good copy that I can go to. Absolutely. And uh, let, let's begin to wrap up here. I, I really really enjoyed the conversation and appreciate all the insight that you provided as well. Maybe before I let you go, do you have any book recommendations that the Gumbo listeners should be should queue up uh, for their for their next read or, or listen on Audible? Oh, you know that's a that's a really good question and one that I you caught me completely flat footed about. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. Yeah. That's all right. Unless you have something else you want to recommend. You know, I mean, I, I, there I, there are some books that I that I'm reading now that uh, are more around. Um, spirituality and things like that. And it's, it's a very personal topic. So I certainly don't yeah. like, you know, kind of foisting my opinions mm-hmm. on people, but look, anything that kind of get anything that kind of yeah. gets you out of your own head. Right. Cause, um, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I find very helpful. It helps me to clear my helps, helps me to look at big picture things, you know, and, um, and, and you can get all that, a ton of great content on YouTube in that regard. Right. And I mean, like, I just, I'm, oh, yeah. I'm a I'm curious guy by nature. I always have been, right? So I just like to sort of poke around here and poke around there. And um, it's amazing what you'll come across, right? And 
and there's there's so, such great content out there, you know, and it, it it's funny because you can it can be the reverse too. You can just there's there's a lot of garbage, unfortunately, but that's 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 just the way it is, you know. And so, um, I uh, you know I. I, I like to discover, you know, lots of new ideas, and you know, um, there was uh, there was one person who I was gonna recommend uh, who's kind of kind of broad in that regard. Um, mm-hmm. Thomas Merton is one, so he was kind of like a, a Christian philosopher, uh, philosopher, okay. I should say. Uh, so his, his stuff is really good. If somebody's looking for something that's a little bit more offbeat. Um, and, uh, Alan Watts. So Alan Watts was a little uh, more okay. like Zen, Zen Buddhist type stuff. Yeah. No, Alan Watts. Uh, yeah. Uh, so that's, I guess that's my answer. Okay. <laughs> Very informative though. Um, look, I, I don't always sit around reading technical books and, you know, it's all about, you know, a little bit of spirituality, meditation, you know, some of the ex- eccentric stuff, stoicism, yep. meditations, Marcus Aurelius. I mean, yeah. it's quite a bit that, um, you know, you look at to get those creative ideas to kind of take you and um, transport you in the past and then into the future and you get a really good idea. Um, I, I think it's it's the name of the game nowadays to not just be, you know, black and white, but to be a little gray. Right. So you can you can go between the lines and you can morph in and out whenever you need to. So. Uh, I, I really appreciate you you spending some time here with us, giving us some some insights, and I, I learned a few things from you as well. Uh, but before I let you go, I want to let the Gumbo listeners know to go out and search on LinkedIn, Backup and Recovery Professionals. We have a group there, and there are over 25,000 individuals and peers uh, in storage, security, data management, data analytics as well. So please go out and join the group. And uh, also, don't be afraid to go to Apple Podcast and leave us a review as well, because all of those reviews help us to continue to rank uh, high on Google. So, Colm, thank you again for being a guest on Data Protection Gumbo. Thanks for having me, Demetrius. Appreciate it. <laughs>